Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to episode 83 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Joanna Green joining us. Joanna is a mother of two tongue-tied babies, and Dr. Joanna Green brings her experience as a mother and a provider to her practice. Working alongside infant and pediatric healthcare specialists, she has developed a comprehensive, compassionate, and conservative approach to treating her littlest of patients in a non-dental setting. Her journey started with tongue ties, but has since evolved into an airway-centric practice philosophy. Dr. Green's advanced training in the following, infant and pediatric laser phrenectomy and functional frenuloplasty, pediatric and adult growth appliances, including myobrace, ALF, vivos, orofacial myofunctional disorders. She is trained in OMT and she is a QOMD and Buteco breathing. Joanna, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to sit down with you and chat about all things, you know, tot, myo, airway. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. We've been uh, planning this for a while, so it's good to be here with you today. Yes. So let's jump right on in and talk about, you know, how you got into the TOTS and airway space, because I know you had your own journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So like many people um, in my position, um, providers, we have similar stories about our own children. And I really believe that's kind of the strongest why that anyone can have. Um, So it all started my first daughter, who's now five. She was born a preemie. And we had a really difficult time nursing, um, just been there, done that. We, we did everything. So uh, between like nursing and bottle feeding, um, it was really a struggle. Then fast forward a couple years later, we had um, our second daughter and she was full term, this literally double the size of her um, full term baby. And she uh, was nursing really well. Um, and then I realized that really well was really subjective to what I thought it was. Um, And like little things uh, were kind of creeping up after about a month. And so I decided to kind of reach out to um, local IBCLC in the area. And I actually called them for an appointment and kind of was talking with one of the IBCLCs and she's like, yeah, just come in for a comprehensive evaluation and I'd already done all the googling and I'm like like this kind of sounds like a tongue tie um but when I called her and we were discussing it I'm like well I'm just gonna make this very clear Uh, my baby does not have a tongue tie I am a dentist um absolutely not like I would know if she had a tongue tie um and so like kind of thinking back on that on that conversation it's like really embarrassing because um she's like okay well you know, we're not talking about tongue ties. I'm like, but I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. I know, I know what a tongue tie is. So um, fast forward, like a week later, we go in and we had a comprehensive evaluation and lo and behold, my daughter had a lip and tongue tie, a posterior tongue tie. 
And I just, I had no idea. And when, after about an hour of being there and doing a functional evaluation, um, my IBCLC was, I mean, she showed me and it was kind of like, it was right there and you, you can't miss it. So, um, so after that, um, you know, my journey kind of went into getting it, uh, the lip and the tongue released. Um, then after about two and a half weeks or so, we saw like drastic improvements and I kept going back to my IBCLC and she, you know, she not only was, um, you know, helping me, but she was also like a friend, someone to confide in, which I think is really important when, when moms go to, um, to these appointments, because it's really not just, um, get help and see a never, it's a support family. And so when I'd go back there, she's like, listen, Joanna, like you, you're a mom, you've been through this. Um, why, like, why aren't you doing these procedures? I'm like, Oh, I have no idea about this. Like, remember that conversation that we had, um, on the phone? I didn't even know what it, what it, a tongue tie looked like in a baby. And she's like, no, like, I, I really think that, um, you know, I challenge you to learn more about it, um, and see as a mother, like how you can uh, provide <clears throat> a really good service to the mothers because she's like, I like you. I like what you're about. Um, so you should learn more about it. I'm like, all right. Um, okay. I'll, I'll get back to you when life calms down, which is, you know, how that goes with babies. Right. So, um, yeah, a few months later, um, things, you know, calmed down. Nursing was great. And then it was, um, it was just something that really kind of stuck in the back of my mind. I'm like, maybe this is something that um, I should really look into. And, and so I did, um, I took a few courses um, and learned about it. And then, um, you know, at the same time we were um, at my dental practice, we were incorporating airway screening. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, pediatric airway screening and adult airway screening. And so I was like, well, you know, we're, making a lot of changes. Um, maybe this is the time, right? And uh, we're fortunate, one of my partner at um, Pike Creek Dental office, uh, he's super supportive of everything. And so he's like, you should do it, you should do it. Like we're like CE junkies. Um, and so took the courses, um, bought a laser, and I had my first patients. And I quickly became like almost like addicted to it because I, my journey, um, I basically took everything that I, I felt could be better in my personal experience with the release. And, and I had a great experience, but I was like, man, as a mom, I can have an, e I can provide an even better experience for my, for my, um, for my patients, for my families. Um, and so I designed my own, you know, my own program my own approach to it and I was able to kind of fine-tune everything the way I wanted it to be and the way I felt a mother should be treated and how a mother should um, you know get that peace of mind and uh, just a lot of time a lot of a lot of these appointments are just counseling it's education it's counseling it's relieving a mom's anxiety that um, you know that they're not crazy that they're not crazy for for doing this to their child um, because what I like to say, it's not, you're not doing this to your baby. You're doing it for your baby ultimately. Um, and so at the practice, I was able to start incorporating this program and 
And it was a lot of work. And I had my two uh, main assistants that were there with me through like from day one. And it was nerve wracking. And then, you know, you do it more and more and you start to um, kind of really fine tune everything. And so um, that's how it started from in the general practice. And very quickly, um, as word got out and um, I was able, I was made more relationships with um, IBCLCs and with the hospital and different um, OBs and um, they they just really appreciated my like mom to mom approach and so I was getting a lot of babies which was fantastic because um, we loved doing it and we were getting really um, kind of fine tuning our, our process but we had a lot of crying babies in the office <laughs> and a lot of a lot of moms just you know sitting with their car seat in the waiting room and people are like why is there a, an infant in, in the waiting room and we have a, the office is beautiful and it's very open um, and but at the same time it would get really noisy and uh, you know my partner um, he'd be doing like a dental procedure <laughs> and there's a adult <laughs> next door so it wasn't really good for that uh, calm dental experience that you want for your dental patients and then also it wasn't um, as private as, as I would like for my as uh, for my mother so um, that kind of evolved into moving out of this space and uh, and so from there we basically um, like I, I was talking about getting involved like in the airway screening so like I said earlier, we had already started um, the whole process of incorporating all this uh, screening protocols. And, um, you know, in 2017, the ADA released a statement that dentists are in the forefront of screening for pediatric um, sleep disordered breathing, um, as well as well as for adults. So we were like, we need to be doing this as every dentist should be doing it. Um, and a lot aren't. I think there's a huge knowledge gap in that. Um, so, I mean, we kind of hit the ground running and so, um, we felt like this is, it's important. I mean, we are the specialists of the head and neck, um, and we are able to catch all these red flags. So we really, um, started implementing a lot of, um, screening tools and seeing exactly, you know, what was, um, you know, what our actual patients in our practice were presenting with. And once you learn it from like the Mayo standpoint, um man like you cannot unsee it oh no you can't <laughs> no you can't not unsee it yeah. and it's crazy because you start thinking you're like this is every patient it's every other patient um a lot of you're seeing just so much dysfunction um and then you see a normal patient you're like oh my goodness <laughs> yay <laughs> and i'm like guess what i have great news you have perfect muscles and perfect everything like you know you get so excited um, cause you're like, wow, like, what did you do? Like, can you tell me your secrets? Like, what, you know, you start like trying to figure out like what, when you have a child with perfect development, I'm like, I want to like interview the mother because I want to know exactly what they did. Um, cause you really, unfortunately we don't see it very often now. It's, we see a lot of dysfunction as you know. And so it is our, it is our duty to, um, screen and to be able to, um, identify, um, history and clinically, um, like the symptoms and signs of uh, different um, issues that um, children may be deficient in growth or have like sleep related breathing disorders. Um, so are you, so, 
are you guys using like a specific screener? Did you create your own? Like for anybody yeah. who's listening that might be like, hey, you know what? I really want to implement this in my practice. And you know, like I do screens during my um, myofunctional evaluations. Um, we screen for for sleep and airway to the extent that we can, and you know, then we'll refer out um, if we think there are greater concerns. Um, so yeah, are you guys using like any specific tool that you like, or did you create your own? Yeah, great question. Um, so my partner, um, Dr. Ryan Robinson, he is like triple board certified in lots of things. Um, and he's in, he's board certified in craniofacial pain, dental sleep medicine, and craniofacial dental sleep. So with those certifications, he's had a ton of training and um, basically to answer your question, we made our own. Awesome. So, um, so we've had with all the training that he's had and that I've had, we kind of, um, we take, you know, what we think is really relevant. Um, and you know, he, like I said, he's like a CE junkie, obviously to have the, those, um, those, um, certifications. And so we really made our own, um, and really, I mean, they're simple. We want them to be simple, uh, for our hygienists to be able to quickly screen. Um, we also have screening tools for our, um, for our uh, parents. So a very common scenario in the dental office is that um, the, the, um, the family comes in, the mom is um, basically given a questionnaire and has asked, okay, look at these um, specific questions and they consist of um, behavioral, um, different like functional things. So we call it like our private eye. And so, um, we send, so a lot of moms, when they have no idea anything is going on and we, you know, we've screened and we see signs clinically and, you know, it may not be appropriate to, to bombard them with, you need all this, stuff. you know, they're like, I, you know, I'm not sure. Okay. Here's this private eye. Take, take it home and look for, look, like read through this and see if your child is doing any of these things. Like, gather information. Let's talk about it again. Um, you can, we can talk about it again at six months, or you can come back, give us a call. We can see you sooner, like if you are concerned about it. Um, and so we would use the privatized screening for the parents. The parents would also, um, you know, they fill out like a whole, um, like kind of like a checklist if they, if they notice X, Y, Z going on. Um, and, and then the hygienists do a, an, an actual clinical exam and, you know, some questions. So we're able to quickly screen that way. Uh, we don't, we don't bombard the parents with these questions at every cleaning appointment. We kind of have a baseline and then we pull it up and we're like, are, you know, do any, has anything changed? Do any of these, um, you know, appear to have gotten worse or better? And so from there, we're able to make a referral. So this is at the general practice and that's kind of how we started. And all these forms are like, constantly evolving and yeah. so for adults as well um same thing there's we have the you know kind of clinical um things that we're looking for we know that um you know sleep apnea has a ton of red flags in the mouth like you really you, you start to see it in the mouth first and so you know we ask the questions uh, not do you snore we ask have you ever been told you snore because if you're sleeping, you don't snore, right? And so, um, you know, and, and there's such a high correlation with, um, with airway collapse when people snore, of course. And then the second, I think, most common one really 
um, is the grinding. So nighttime bruxism, very high correlation with, um, with you know, sleep apnea and, and such. So uh, we definitely ask our patients a lot of questions. Um, and when people um, are kind of like turned, they're like, I'm just here for the dentist. Um, we, we really say, well, just like we're giving you an oral cancer screening, um, we are ethically, um, this is our job. We are bound to take a look at you from not just your tooth, okay? Like we're not just looking at a little tooth and the gums around it. We're looking at your body, your, um, your airway, because it really is, um, you, can, you get to see these manifestations first in the mouth. So, um, so we just kind of present it to them that way. We care about your health. This is what we're seeing. Take it or leave it. This is how we can um, go from here. I think that is fantastic because I know like most people think, you know, and a lot of registered dental hygienists that I have come into contact with through the Mayo stuff that I do and everything online have said, you know, we, we don't just clean teeth, right? And that's kind of what I think a lot of the, the general public thinks you go to the dentist and you get your teeth cleaned. If there's issues, they help, you know, fix those issues. And what I, what I don't think people realize is that dentists actually have a much larger role in our full body health. Um, I'm hoping that that's getting through in the podcast because I can't count anymore how many times I've said, I think that dentists, especially pediatric dentists, will be like the pediatricians of the future. Like I keep joking that like 10 years down the road, like you guys are going to replace the pediatricians because you're actually looking at the types of health issues that matter. And I mean, I don't mean to put our peds down at all, but you know, they should be doing airway screenings in a pediatrician's office. They so should be and we now at our, at our new office at the pain and sleep therapy center, we actually have um, one team member on our staff that is dedicated. Like her time is spent um, educating offices and going around to pediatricians and to, um, we give presentations to, um, different, um, different dental offices and teaching hygienists how to screen and how like simple screening tools to help, help them figure out who needs maybe a, a just a more comprehensive evaluation. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we, we do a lot of education in the community, which is super important. We even go to, to schools um, and teach. You know, we, we have one hygienist that, like, she's amazing with children, and she, her big thing is doing, like, puppet shows at schools, and she's been doing it for, like, 40 years, and it's mind-blowing how, how much the children love it. And so we're hoping that um, soon we can incorporate some kind of screenings at schools. Like, why isn't that being done? So we do that. Yeah. We've done the most, right? Yeah. So like when we go into the private schools that we go into, we are doing speech and we call them speech language screenings and we call them OT screenings. But in that we're having a snack and we're watching how they're chewing and we're watching how, you know, what happens to the tongue and is their mouth open the whole time. So we're actually screening for OMDs, airway issues, yeah, right. like any, awesome. you know, Right. You know, and so, and it's a 15 minute screen comprehensive of like speech, yeah. language, myo, it doesn't have to take long. Right. And so this is the thing that really, like, like you're saying, like, we really need more education. We need to be getting into like in with these kids when they're younger. And, um, you know, I know our pediatricians are amazing and I know that they have so much on their plate, but it's like, right. why not add just one more little checklist right. to screening you send home? I'm already filling out five every time I have to bring my kid in for like, you know, the next like checkup, like let's add one more because really to me, the airway screen is going to be the most important one, right. you know, along with the general developmental screen over some of the other things that I fill out. So 
it's it's one of those things that I've honest and and the other thing you mentioned too that I thought was really amazing was your approach to basically telling families hey whether it's an adult or a child like ethically like we need to be looking at this this is part of what we do this is within our you know this is part of our scope and like we can't honestly proceed forward without kind of check checking all the boxes and making sure that we're really how do we know what the next best treatment may be for you if we don't know you know the whole picture so I love that and I love that um you know the one thing I'll say about like moms is I always say moms are you know, I would say moms are the best therapists. Moms are the best reporters, except when it comes to sleep. <laughs> and, you know, and it's honestly because I've had so many kiddos on my caseload where parents are like, oh, they're great sleepers. They don't have any sleep issues. And then they kind of write off the conversation. But what nobody's realizing is we need to be looking at that child when they're sleeping. Can we hear them breathing? Is it audible at all? They don't have to be snoring. Is their mouth open when they're sleeping? Is something in their mouth when they're sleeping? You know, there's just so many, you know, do they wet the bed? Like you said, we look at other behaviors. Like what are daytime behaviors like? Like what, what are these indicators that maybe something larger is going on? And I think that when we start to open up that conversation more for parents and they start to realize the connections um, you know, and, and how we can actually improve the quality of life in general, just by looking at something that seems as so, like so simple, you know, from a parent standpoint, but for us, it's so complex and so involved, um, because sleep affects everything. So airway affects everything. Yeah. So, and that's a great point because so many moms will say, moms and dads, I should say, so my child sleeps great. They sleep 12 hours. Yeah. Now, the amount of time they sleep does not mean that they're sleeping well. Um, I can tell you uh, my uh, three-year-old is a prime example of that. She had large tonsils and adenoids, and she would sleep a good stretch of time. But when she was sleeping, she was sweating. She was moving around. Um, you know, she would she was mouth breathing. So she wasn't sleeping well. Mm-hmm. She was sleeping a long time to to get that amount of sleep that she needed. And so, um, yeah. And so as you know, I'm a mother of three, so I get it. Been there, done that. Uh, it's just important to kind of sometimes to take a step back because you get lost in the, the day to day and you just, everything becomes normal. Like the, the, you know, the little things that like for us that we're looking for, you may not notice it because it's been going on forever. So, um, you know, it's, it's common but it's not normal for that to happen. Right. Right. Not normal. I love that. So it's nice. So at the practice, um, you know, just educating the parents, like what to look for. Um, because you, you know, even with the pediatricians, we, our goal is not to be super aggressive, um, you know, turn people off, but be like, Hey, like more of an educational approach, but like, goodness, wouldn't it be life-changing if, um, if they had a screening that they would just be, all we're asking for is to say, hey, like, um, I see, like, oh, like, your, your child is breathing through their mouth, like, pretty much all the time, other than, you know, pretty much all the time, or um, this, this, that, or the other. Here, let me send you to someone who's a specialist in that, to just kind of, I'm not really sure, you know, if this is an issue, but let me just send you to someone who is and can make that determination. Um, that's really all we're asking for from, from any provider, whether that's um, a pediatrician, um, a PCP, just being like, I'm seeing, I'm noticing these things. Let me kind of send you to the person that can just check it out a little bit further. Um, so I think that we're, you know, I think over time we'll 
slowly make our mark on the pediatric um, community that way. That, that is the goal. <laughs> and if we, can, if we can make it through like to the ENTs, you know, I know there's like a, a good number of ENTs that are in this space that get it, but that's another profession where I feel like we're constantly trying to educate. Oh, and, yeah. you know, because my, my own daughter, Lily, had very large tonsils. They weren't kissing, but they were large and they weren't just large, they were inflamed. And you could see like the veins running through them. They were like hard, solid balls in the back of her mouth. And she was not always mouth breathing. She had very plush lips. So like they sat together most of the time. And so because of that, the ENT was like, nope, she's fine. But she was a kid who was like chronically catching everything and, you know, upper respiratory. And I'm like, if the kid is also getting sick a lot, you know, right. then, but it wasn't sick in the terms that we weren't having to go and get antibiotics all the time. It was like colds. So because it wasn't documented, it was kind of like, oh, that's not a big deal. And I'm like, right. what do you mean? I, it's, it was just this whole like runaround that we got. And that's part of like my passion behind it. And I know sometimes I have a very strong opinion towards certain professions and it's not meant to come off as, you know, being hate toward any one profession. But, you know, I feel like I just envision, I always have this like larger vision, like you, like probably like you do in a sense where it's like, if we could just bring everybody together, we could all come together and we're not asking you to like, you know, like you said, it can be very simple. It doesn't need to be complex. Like a couple questions, something that you note on your form that maybe you ask the parent about a bit more. And then if you kind of feel like there's something maybe going on here, like you said, you refer out to that specialist. Like that's, that's how I envision the future going. Ultimate goal, right? <laughs> yeah, that is the ultimate dream vision. And I think it's important to, to note that we're, we're not looking at a child and being and saying, oh, they have large tonsils. Um, we're looking at large tonsils, behavioral issues. We know yeah. that ADD and ADHD have the same symptoms yeah. um, as sleep disorder breathing. So we're looking at the big picture. Are they mouth breathing all the time? Are they chronically sick? Um, how does their mouth look? How are their jaws? How's their palate? How does, how's their tongue function? What's their history? How are they eating? I mean, there's just so many things that, um, what we uh, ended up doing at the practice, um, the dental practice was, um, you know, doing these screenings and then we would have a, a whole checklist that we would actually, um, the parents would fill out on the front set on the front and it would, you know, kind of different things that they're seeing, right? Like, yes, no, not sure. On the back, the hygienist would fill out what, what they're seeing, like, um, different, um, you know, intraoral, right? Like, so we would talk about like the, the palate, the teeth, um, malocclusion, um, mal and patty score, uh, tonsil grade, um, and then also like developmental, developmental things on for the face, you know, so long face, uh, maxillary deficient. Um, so different things that as the professionals, they would kind of, um, you know, working with the dentist, we would kind of check off and then we would um, give that, give them that paper to take to their primary care or to their um, ENT and be like, Yes, there's large tonsils, but look at all the other stuff that's going on. Um, so please take into consideration all the other things that are being affected in this child's development and life um, before you just say they'll grow out of it. So yeah, yeah. and that's that's our approach too. We have our little like referral pad yeah. checklist that has like all yeah. the things on it, so we can check off all the symptoms because, like you said, it it's one piece of the puzzle. And yes, large tonsils on their own are not necessarily a concern. It's all those other symptoms that right. surround it. So that's so important. So I'm glad right. you brought that up. So I'm like, yeah. everybody kind of knows Lily's story. So I didn't really go into all the details, but yeah, if you followed this pod, my podcast for any length of time, you know, like Lily had 
a whole slew of symptoms and still has some things that we're working through. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's definitely important to, I think, the other thing we've also been educating on is when you send a child to an ENT, it helps to use, instead of being that SLP, right? Because a lot of speech pathologists refer and go, please look at the tonsils and adenoids. <laughs> like they're probably sick of getting that. So we said, you know, send them and use the term upper airway resistance. Because if you say I'm concerned about upper airway resistance, like that's going to open up a very different conversation than saying, I think this kid has large tonsils. And so, you know, right. if we just start the conversation differently and you're sending that referral pad or you're sending, you know, that checklist of symptoms to be like, hey, you know, what are you seeing? This is what I'm seeing. Um, I think it's a much gentler approach to having a productive right. conversation. So yeah, I, lo I absolutely love that. Yeah, so um, basically from, from there, we had such, I mean, once we learned about it and we were seeing it, we're like, this is perfect. Like we need to, um, between like the babies and um, all the um, children that we're seeing that need myofunctional therapy that would benefit from it, um, that's where the pain and sleep therapy center kind of was born from. And so it's a non-dental um, specialty practice. Um, it's airway focused, integrative um, care for uh, children, infants, children, and adults. And so um, really uh, what we focus on is finding the root cause. Um, we want to improve everyone's quality of life. Like that's our mission, improve quality of life um, by finding the root cause. And you can't ask for more than that because as an adult, you can, um, you can treat a patient um, or you can like make their symptoms better. Yeah. But as a child, you can cure them. You can you know, basically redirect their growth. And how amazing is that to have some early intervention so that they are not just being, um, you know, treated as a um, OSA patient in the future with a, a sleep appliance or a CPAP. We want to help our children to develop really good habits and um, kind of redirect them to grow properly. So, um, so yeah, so the, our center is, I mean, it's fantastic because we, offer like a lot of different services. Um, we have a, um, so a myofunctional therapist that is, um, her background is um, as a registered dental hygienist. We have a, an SLP um, and she's also a um, certified lactation counselor, um, kind of like a bottle feeding specialist that, um, for the babies as well. And she is also a myofunctional therapist and, um, you know, we have Dr. Ryan Robinson, and I, as I told you earlier, he's like triple board certified. So he's, you know, seeing a lot of the um, adults. We do functional frenoplasties. We do, and then I personally do the, all the, um, the laser infant phrenectomies. Um, and our pediatric, um, you know, clinic is, I mean, it's, it's amazing. We have um, our CT, uh, so we're able to do the 3D imaging and, um, you would not, I mean, well, you would believe it, but for everyone else out there, the amount of um, families that come in to see me for their babies, the amount of people that come in and I treat their infants and then they bring their other children. And then the mom is like, well, well, you know, um, this guy right here. And she's like giving him the side. She's like, I can't, I have to sleep in a different room. Like, can, can I bring him back for his snoring? And so it, it's really, um, I mean, it's really amazing how we can have this kind of uh, 
multi-generational family approach um, to treating the families. And I mean, for me personally, getting, when I see them as infants, um, that is my, like, man, that is my passion. And I love having that space to, to really talk to the parents in this, you know, non-dental environment. So there's no, um, so it's a very private, private rooms and it's quiet. And, um, you know, a lot of it is just education and, and making them, um, understand like where, where, you know, what the research shows, why we're doing this. Um, so like I said earlier, a lot of moms are like, well, if this is just for breastfeeding, then I'm going to bottle feed. And, you know, it's, I take a lot of time to, to talk about, you know, you've come to me as a referral from an IBCLC, someone who's all they do all day long is watch babies feed. And so their job truly is to, to rule out positioning, latch, supply, mom to baby fit, the dyad, right? And so um, then we can focus on function. And when the function is impeded, it's all about function, as you know, right? So um, that's why you're here today to, to talk about function. For me to have a second look at it, to see if I agree that function is impaired because of a physical structure. Yeah. Um, and then really just talking about how a physical, um, structure the tongue tie or a lip tie how that can affect tongue posture because we know all the research so much research shows how um really tongue posture um and how that will influence the growth of the jaw so it can be a learned behavior we have the mouth breathers because they have huge tonsils and adenoids chronic congestion allergies um or we have a physical (laughs) restriction right that causes that and so really it's that um, just spending a lot of time educating them, making them feel like um, this is, like I said, it's, um, you're not doing this to your baby, you're doing it for your baby. And we have done everything from a conservative approach to, um, to assess and to treat your baby comprehensively and compassionately, right? Like we're not there just to be doing that just for fun, mm-hmm. right? People, I've, I've definitely overheard a mom uh, before that was like, what kind of person could do this for a living? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, if you only yeah. knew like how it actually, I mean, it makes you kind of like, you giggle a little bit at the same time. You're like, oh, oh my gosh, I actually think that like we're doing this to like farm children. I'm like, well, <laughs> let me tell you, but if I can do a procedure that takes like 10 seconds, yeah. it can change the way your baby functions and I can keep them from being a three-year-old that is eating with their fingers, choking, gagging, is a mouth breather, and is going to turn into a sleep apnea patient when they are 40 years old or a TMD. Um, And then, you know, maybe they also have like others, their sleep is awful. And so school is hard and they really struggle and they can't attend and they're sitting backwards at circle time and they're not making friends. I mean, it's like, I see it evolve and evolve and evolve. And nobody has any idea that it, that these things can change when the child is sleeping adequately and breathing adequately. And I know there's been research studies out there too, about how children who have obstructive sleep apnea, young children actually have IQs that have been shown to be 10 points lower than their same age, typically developing peers. because of the damage that it does to the brain over a certain amount of time. And it's not, and it's thought to be irreversible. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, 
I don't care what any parent thinks about me. If I can help a child get on track, like you can think whatever you want about me. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I listened to, um, so the podcast that you had with um, Dr. David McIntosh, Australian uh-huh. um, ENT. Yeah. I was, man, his analogies about the, the you know, best. <laughs> yeah. They're very strong. Yeah, they're strong intense, but it really gives you a good visual. <laughs> but, but truly, I mean, you have to, you have to sleep you have to get oxygen into your body. Um, and so when a child is snoring, it is never normal. And when they're grinding their teeth, usually it is a airway issue. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't know if anyone's going to dress up as, um, Dr. Dr. Green, the phrenectomy specialist for Halloween, right? Cause I'm like this evil villain. Um, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully not. But, um, I like to think that, you know, um, you know, we can provide compassionate care and make the moms and the dads feel, feel strong and, um, just good about their decision and support them through that process. That is the, my goal is to make it a good experience and provide all the information, um, before the appointment, after the appointment to make um, us have good outcomes afterwards. And so, um, so I think that, um, my kind of track record has shown that my parents, my parents are very happy and, um, and they, they like to sing our praises. And so that's kind of like the, the best, um, compliment when we have moms referring their friends or family to see me because um, they've had, they've gotten good care and that's what it's all about. Well, and, and you're a mom who's been through it. You're a provider who cares about the work you do. I mean, and it shows and people, you know, I think when people come, get to know you as a practitioner and be experience it for themselves, obviously they're going to come to realize like you're not, pe- people don't get into this for the money. They don't get into this because it's the latest fad. Like it's not, a, it's not those things, right? It's really truly because we see a bigger picture. We see exactly. the quality of life changes that are going to happen. And it's not just short term. It's the entire, it's like, like you said, like this goes into adulthood. If you can prevent a child from turning into an adult who has obstructive sleep apnea, you know, obviously there's no guarantees in life, but like, if we know the connection and we can do what we can do now, why not do it? It's such a minimal procedure. And you know, the one thing you said that stood out to me was like that, you know, a mom who kind of says, well, if, if I have to put my baby through this procedure, I'll just stop breastfeeding and I'll bottle feed. If that's her goal, fine. But what I want parents to realize is you still, a baby who has trouble breastfeeding is most likely going to be dysfunctional on the bottle as well. And so, you know, they might be able to feed, maybe it'll even seem easier on the bottle for some kids, but we get a lot of kiddos who won't even transition to a bottle. Right. Um, So, you know, and I just actually recorded a podcast episode this week with another practitioner talking about, you know, actually typically developing babies and how it's actually normal for breastfeeding babies who have zero feeding issues to refuse that transition to the bottle. And we talked about how you can actually go about doing that because we get parents sometimes who are like frantic around, like, I have to go back to work. My baby won't take a bottle. And a lot of people will pathologize those babies. And sometimes there's actually nothing wrong. It's just the baby has a preference and they're having a hard time making that transition. Now, those are not typically the babies that we're seeing, right? Like we're usually seeing the babies who are dysfunctional on both breast and or bottle, or maybe they're taking one and not the other, but that doesn't mean that it's functional. And so, you know, I love how you, you're very much so like I am, like my whole goal is 
let's get to the root of the problem. Let's stop slapping band-aids on things. Let's figure out what is causing this and deal with that because that's going to also improve other things usually. Um, so I love that, that whole mission, you know, because it's all about getting down to the root. Absolutely. And like it, the most important thing that we can tell parents and educate them on is um, growth and development and the research that we have. We have really strong research about the importance of um, basically tongue posture for growth and development of the palate, how that ties into the nose, how that ties into airway development. Um, we have really strong research on nasal breathing and the importance of that. And I mean, that as a foundation for myofunctional yeah. um, therapy, like that is our first and foremost goal is to close the mouth. And um, I mean, there's a ton of research on it and there's good research on it. So um, I think that that is, that's a huge thing that we, um, you know, we, we screen for, and we take the time to discuss with parents that um, even, so even for like my babies, when I, when I do my two, um, two week post-op with them, um, I talk about things to look out for because I never say this procedure is going to cure everything. You'll never have any issues. The fact that you're in my office right now, you are at a higher risk um, for, you know, throughout childhood that you are already here. Um, so we can, um, let's, you know, let's take care of this physical restriction. Let's improve function, this healthy range. You know, we don't, I don't talk about it from a yes or a no perspective, but we want to have a healthy um, range of motion. And um, we know form follows function. And so hopefully we can um, really instill good habits and that will translate through childhood, right? And to have good growth and development. But you need to be on the, on the lookout for X, Y, and Z. I'm always here for you. Like, um, hopefully I'll never see you again. But if you notice your kid doing, having eating issues or this or that, like we need to, um, you know, put our heads together again. So I think that's, that's important that, um, you know, we kind of make that a point that um, it's, it's not a failed procedure, right? Like if, you know, sometimes you get those babies where um, you release the structure and they're like, have minimal improvements. Well, this is a whole body thing. And that's why we work as a multidisciplinary practice. We, um, I, I work with IBCLCs that are, that um, know when, even before they see me to send them for body work, um, I mean, I think body work, whether that's cranial sacral therapy, chiropractic, um, osteopathy, like all those things are such great um, adjuncts to conservative um, treatment, or at least getting the baby in this optimal timing. And, um, and I think that's another huge point is that this procedure should never be like a phrenectomy should never be an emergency procedure. If it is an emergency procedure, it is the wrong thing to do. We need to make sure the babies have a feeding plan, um, are healthy enough, um, to be able to, to actually eat, um, that they have an established feeding, um, you know, a source, whether it's bottle or breast, um, and that the parents are in a healthy state of mind as well, because as we know, like post, um, phrenectomy, it's difficult to, to do the um, active home care. So we need to make sure that everyone's like kind of in this optimal range. And so um, 
you know, I think Michelle Emanuel, she talks a lot about um, optimal timing of release. And I totally agree with that because that's really when you have the best outcomes mm -hmm. for the babies. Oh yeah. And I've, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it when parents call me and they say, I just left, we just had the procedure. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what? Why is this the first time you're calling me? I mean, obviously I want to step in and help, but you know, one, oftentimes when that's the case, baby has not actually been prepped optimally. Um, two, I have no baseline, right? I really don't exactly, know the baseline. Right? So I don't even know like what we were starting with to even know where to go. And I can see what, you know, and baby's not going to be the same post-op as they were pre-op. But yeah, I mean, you make such a great point because it is super important to prep a baby. The timeline is going to depend, depend on that baby and that baby's needs and the providers on the team that are working with the baby. Everybody should be signing off you know, and saying that, yes, baby is fully ready. Um, but after the fact, it is so important to already know, like literally when you leave that office, what is your active care plan afterwards to make sure baby heals properly? Cause that's going to be separate from the feeding plan, right? That's two different things. And I think that everybody kind of looks at it as, well, I did all the lifts under the baby's tongue and I was really good about doing the exercises they gave me. And I'm like, well, did, did you work with an IBCLC or a feeding specialist? Like, did anybody read, you know, did anybody habilitate the baby's tongue and oral exactly. structures? And they, they go, never had, they never had normal <laughs> function. Right. So you're not rehabilitating them. You're habilitating them. You are actually teaching them what normal should be. Right. right. And, and I try to, hero. yeah, I mean, so, I try to educate on that because we develop our swallow in utero by 12 weeks. In yes. utero. Yep. And this baby has never known anything else. Like this baby went from literally like, conception to swallowing this way with a tongue that was tethered down to the floor of the mouth and that couldn't reach the palate. And so for this is the first time. So like you said, like you pointed out, I mentioned habilitate, like we're not rehabbing, we are habilitating. And so right. the first time we're doing this with this baby, they have never had this function before. So I also don't always see it as a failed procedure. I see it as, well, we didn't have the proper care surrounding the procedure. So the procedure itself may have been a beautiful release, but if we were not habilitating the muscles and the oral anatomy and helping this baby learn how to use that tongue to suck, swallow, and breathe, um, you know, and create that, that sequence, that healthy suck, swallow, breathe pattern that they need based on whatever age they are, you know, that's where we're really failing our, our little babies. Um, and so that's, yeah, I mean, it's so, so important to yeah. optimal timing, it's, but also the follow-up right. care. It's so, it's just a very complex, um, yeah. Yeah. complex issue. Uh, and I think that um, for nectomies, um, especially for providers that are doing them, and I can speak from a dental perspective, um, it's very much like a hot topic right now. And so I can't stress enough about learning the right way um, and learning the team approach to things because um, it is, it shouldn't be a procedure that is, you know, just anyone calls and they walk into your office and they just get it done. Right. No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, because that's really what gives the phrenectomy a bad name. And that's when the pediatricians, when they get this mom that calls, my baby ha isn't peeing. Um, I can't feed them. They're screaming. Like, and then they call the pediatrician. Do you know what the pediatrician says? Well, tongue ties, you know. Tongue ties are fat. You shouldn't have released Why did you do that? Um, yeah. Why don't you go to the emergency room then? Like, right. <laughs> let me show you. Right. Well, and that's, that's the whole reason why I think there is this bad, a bad blood, if you will, between some professions, because if you do not treat it holistically, it, you know, look, are there cases where you release a tongue and all of a sudden that baby kind of figures out how to feed themselves? You know, sure. 
anything is possible, but that's going to be more rare than it is common. And I would, it's like, that's like playing Russian roulette. Like I'm not going <laughs> to, we don't do that with a baby who needs to eat. They have two, two goals. They need to be able to breathe and they need to be able to eat. And we're messing with both of those. If we release a tongue that cannot properly, you know, fill the palate, because what else can happen? Well, babies sleep on their backs these days. And if their tongue is not habilitated or ready for that release, that tongue can also fall into the airway, block the airway and cause sleep issues that maybe weren't there if the tongue was being maybe held down a certain way, you know, and tethered down and out of the airway initially. So, you know, I've seen issues too, where we actually had larger airway issues that then the feedings, you know, should have gone okay because we had habilitated the tongue, but then all of a sudden, you know, maybe the tongue wasn't completely functioning properly and we were just dealing with where the tongue was actually resting in the mouth right. immediately following the release when there was some inflammation this is a new tongue baby has to learn the new oral anatomy so you know it, it is complex and I, I really I get very um, passionate about this and very frustrated because there are a lot of people on social media who talk about these things and it's very out of scope and there's a lot of misinformation on social media platforms um, with professions that really don't have the credentials to be feeding babies. <laughs> um, and so it's, you know, I think moms latch onto anything that's going to help. And look, I'm the mom who's been there. I didn't know about this with my first child and I would have latched onto anything. I had 13 months of painful breastfeeding and I was just so determined to keep her at breast that when the lactation consultant consultant told me that she was fine, there was no tongue tie and the pediatrician confirmed that I believed them, <laughs> you know, and, and just dealt with it. But you know, it's, it was one of those things where, you know, even in the past five years, it's just exploded on like Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, I just put out a post last night where I was like, you have got to heed the advice that, you know, you need to look at who the professional is that you're listening to. You need to know their specialty, you know, and you really need to be careful what you read on Instagram. Like this is not medical advice that you should be applying to your child. You need to be finding that, finding that specialist in your area who does this work, you know, and is working from that team approach because, you know, as you pointed out, it's really that holistic team approach that's so important. And, you know, we really need to caution parents from like, like you said, you really don't want to go to a provider who's just going to fit you in today when you had no other pre-work done to prep your baby for this release. So yeah. that's my big PSA of the day. <laughs> um, I hear you <laughs> right there with you. Yeah. But, but you've also been on the other side of it too, right? So I know your husband just had his tug release. So you, you actually can see, so uh, even in your own family, you can see like, from infant <laughs> to adulthood, the effects of a tethered tongue. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So, uh, so my husband, and this was not my doing at all. Okay. <laughs> I did not like poke and prod him until you did it. Um, he, yeah, so he was tongue tied and he is like a case study and sorry, Kyle, um, <laughs> a case study in like poor oral, you know, development, um, had all the braces, Mm -hmm. all, all the headgear, um, as a, you know, child growing up in like the early nineties, you know, all the headgear. Um, and so, you know, his parents made huge sacrifices to have ortho and this and that. And then now we know better. We know that he had retractive, um, orthodontics. So they pushed everything back. Um, so in addition to his, um, you know, basically his development, he also had a tongue tie mm -hmm. and, um, and that's all he's ever known, of course. And, um, you know, now in this space, right. Like that, this is what I do. It's what my partner does. Um, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm having this issue, that issue. And then one day he's like, 
I'm going to do myofunctional therapy and I'm going to get my tongue released. And I'm like, Oh, ah. it's like the, <laughs> the, the skies parted and the angels were singing. I'm like, okay. So, uh, and I just left it at that. And so, um, you know, he's working with Lauren, one of our myofunctional therapists and, um, you know, he, he trained for, I mean, literally three, he did all the, all the myofunctional therapy for about three, I would say probably three months, a lot of it. Um, and so he had the release, he had a functional frenoplasty. So, uh, my partner, and I are trained by uh, Dr. Zaghi, the ENT out in California, out of Stanford. And, um, yeah, he had the release done yesterday and it was a, a guided release with a cranial sacral therapist who he's also been working with and he's been singing her praises because he's like, even before this, he was like, he would go for his um, sessions and he's like, I feel like a different person when I leave there. He's like, my, like my head just feels like it's on like a different body. Um, and so, yeah. Right. And, and he's like, not one that would ever say things like that. He's, you know, so, uh, so then, um, you know, fast forward to yesterday, he had the release done, um, and he came home. And so of course a functional release is done, um, using scissors, but really it's a dissection technique. Um, so it, it, it's all about, um, you know, the cave and the actual function of the tongue during the release. Uh, Dr. Robinson uses the um, kind of like these basically like Q-tips or such to kind of pull back the fibers. So um, it's very little um, like actually cutting uh, versus kind of teasing things apart. Yeah. And his um, cave, so the cave is like the tongue suction to the palate, as you know, um, doubled afterwards. Um, I mean, he had a huge improvement. Really fine. Yeah. Yeah. He had a huge improvement. Yeah. Um, and then, so anyways, he got home last night and he has some sutures in there, uh, had a smoothie and today he was at work and, um, and he's speaking normally and he says he's not in that much like discomfort. He took like a couple, you know, Tylenol, but, um, so I had a chance to kind of ask him about it. I was like, so what was your experience like during? And he's like, it kind of felt like I was on on nitrous, on laughing gas. He's like, I had a couple like minutes there during the procedure. He's like, I just felt like just weird. Like he's like, I could feel it like washing through my body, like something like dropping or like the, the laughing gas kind of like floaty. Um, and it really just goes to show how everything is, uh, how it, how it is connected to the rest of your body. We talk about fascia being like a spider web that kind of covers everything and it connects in the midline and how everything releases after that. And so he, um, today he's like, yeah, I feel like my, um, like shoulder area and his like chest area, um, feels a lot, um, just kind of looser. And he's like, I don't know if it's just because I didn't have, um, a long day of work yesterday or because of the release. Um, but he's like, it definitely feels a lot different. Um, and he's like, I'm not that sore. And so, um, yeah, so it's so far so good. And I know like we were talking about it beforehand and I think that the difference sometimes, obviously there's differences in how people heal and how people respond to different procedures. But I also think, you know, you brought up a really good point that there's a big difference in those who are prepared for procedure. Oh, like absolutely. This. And like, yeah. if you're actually prepared and all the surrounding muscles are as relaxed as we can possibly get them and you're, you're as functional as we can possibly get you up until the point of the release, right? Like we know, obviously there's still going to be tension. We know there's still going to be um, a tongue tie in place, but if we can 
get everything else as fully functional as possible before we send somebody for a release. What I've seen is that I've seen it happen without that. And I've seen it happen with that. And the results following a functional release and a person going in, you know, going in truly prepared for that release there, it's, it's like groundbreaking. It's like phenomenal. It's amazing to see that instant, you know, relief. And I've had a lot of adults say like, Oh my gosh, it was like a ton of brick off my shoulders. Like I, I've never thought I'd be able to get rid of, you know, my neck pain, my back pain, you know, for me, I actually have been working with a PT who, um, trains through the postural restoration Institute. And he does what he called, um, he calls it modern, modern counter strain technique. And so he uses a variety of things. And so he's, um, you know, I was working with him a lot and he's actually in the dentist's office who, who has done my other dental work, um, my other, my growth appliances, I should say, not my dental work. And so it was just amazing because like we had been working before I got pregnant with my second daughter on like opening up my chest, opening up my airway. Like I was always so tense through my chest and my diaphragm and like, I'm an SLP, like I'm supposed to be, you know, deep breathing through your diaphragm and this, that, and the other. And like, and then I go to see him and he tells me that basically like, I'm all torqued. Like everything is out of alignment. You're no wonder you're so tight. Like this is here and that's there. And it was, what was also interesting was that like before the release, like I had to keep going back to him and, you know, we were able to achieve it as good as we were going to get it before I got pregnant and then throughout pregnancy. But then I had my tongue released after I, after my second child was born and I've not had to go back to see him that much. And he's like, your body's actually holding now. So like, I still had to do that post-op work, but now it's like the body has the capability of holding and maintaining the results longer and longer and longer before I have to go back and see him. Um, and really we haven't even been working on that. When I see him now, it's because of the growth up here and in my face that he's really been working on, you know, supporting that growth. And the other thing I'll add before we, we start to wrap up today is when I was doing my growth appliance, he, I noticed that I would hit a wall and like I was in a DNA appliance. So I couldn't, I really couldn't crank it anymore because if I cranked it, I could not get it back in my mouth. It was extremely painful, like to try and, you know, it just wouldn't fit. And this was about a year into my treatment. I was in that appliance for two years. When I would go and see him, I would see him and then I could crank it again. And it was just incredible because he was basically just resetting everything and then I could crank it. And I, it, but it was really incredible to see the impact of the body work. And that's when people say, well, what is body work? And how do we know it's effective? And I'm like, look, I don't know. Like, I don't know all the details. All I know is this is what I've seen in my own children. This is what I've seen in myself. This is what I've seen in my patients, you know, and I really think that goes that goes to show that it, it has a very important role, you know, on the, you know, they have a very important role, role as a team member of, you know, what we're, we're talking about here. So, right. Yeah. And so, um, I also do, um, growth appliances for children, like the alpha appliance and, yep. um, the vivos, you know, all these things, they are, you are changing, you are changing a very important structure. Okay. Yep. And so you really need to incorporate body work. And, um, and so like when we do like the, um, the ALF um, growth appliances, we have our patients, you know, of course, myofunctional therapy is like the foundation. Um, the appliance is helping with that. And then the body work um, that really kind of is the icing on the cake to help help those changes happen. And so it's such an important part, whether it's for a child or for, well, really an infant, a child or an adult, we can always benefit from it because we have so many factors um, that are 
you know, whether it's environmental um, or if it's um, basically something that you have been born with, you know, hereditary. So we want to kind of balance the system out, especially yeah. when you're making changes. We want to restore function and harmony is, I guess, the end result, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the the one thing that we don't talk about enough on the podcast is like the nervous system. And like, there's just, there's so much going on throughout your entire body. And, you know, I see a lot of people move into, they're much calmer after a release when they've had the body work. They're much just everything, just everything changes for the better, really. Um, and it's, it's just been very, um, it's been very fascinating to me. I've, I've had adult patients whose anxiety went away after having a release and who, but they were also getting, the body work and you know they were function they were doing the Mayo the body work they were prepped for the release you know maybe they also had a growth appliance like they really are full on doing like everything they need to do right. to support their, their body as a whole and that's why I always say like we are tied from the tip of our tongue down to our toes because everything is interconnected and I don't really mean that as far as like a tongue tie goes but just how all of our systems interact yeah. but I feel like the general medical community tries to teach treat everything in like a silo and that's just not how we operate so you know i really love when i get to have conversations with practitioners like yourself um and people who come on the podcast because i think that we really look at things holistically and in a way that like you can't tease these things apart right. they need to be treated together so we even um just on that kind of point we even do um breathing therapy so we take a breathing if yeah. you're familiar with that mm -hmm. like that's been a game changer for um so many of our adult osa patients yeah. like who knew that over breathing was a thing um and it certainly is and when you kind of learn more about it you're like wow that, that makes total sense and yeah. and so it's kind of incorporating you know it's the whole body it's a lot of different systems incorporating um, as much therapy as we can to, it's just not one thing that will fix all of it, right? Yeah. 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 And you have to figure out what that specific patient needs. We've had um, Patrick McEwen on the podcast um, right. talking about Buteco and he's actually going to be doing a webinar for me um, okay. for my group in December. And so, I mean, he's, he's great. And his website has tons of resources. They even have, I think he's got like free stuff for kids, like kid, you know, assessment treatment type of stuff, like right, right. on the website that any practitioner can kind of dive into if they want to get started with understanding more about that. So very, very good point because, you know, we talk about airway and everyone kind of goes, well, how do I help that? Well, we need to know how someone's breathing first. So <laughs> right. that's step one. Uh, but no, this has been awesome. Anything else that we didn't cover that you want to add okay. in? We covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, we did cover a lot. Uh, I, I don't think so. I think, um, oh, um, you know, I wanted to tell the story of my, my son. I did his yeah. release. Yeah. So just a fun fact that, um, you know, when you are, um, a phrenectomy provider and then your kid is, is born with, um, <laughs> with a tongue tie, you often, maybe you're wondering who gets to do that. <laughs> and I'll tell you who gets to do that, the mom. <laughs> so, yeah. So my, my, um, son Dalton, he was, uh, when he was 12 days old, um, I finally, I mean, I would have done it earlier, but he was born during uh, COVID. And so he is a prime example actually of, um, you know, I preach and preach and preach about optimal time, timing of release. Well, then you have a baby that's born literally in April during the shutdown of everything. Yeah. And I'm like, um, you know, talking with the IBCLCs I work with and like everyone was just shut down. And I'm like, well, I know, you know, from doing this for like going on four years now, like I know not, I was like, he obviously has a tongue tie. 
but I, I would really like to see my IBCLC. I would really like to get body work done. I want to do, like, I was like prepared to do like all of it, you know, like just, just yeah. bring it all, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me just drive from what, you know, because I understand the importance of it. Well, um, everything was shut down. So then um, I ended up just doing the release, um, which was like the worst thing that a mother can do for their, on their own baby. But, you know, you kind of go in from mother mode to provider mode and you just do it. And then it's, it's quick. So it's over and done with. But um, the, the kind of the habilitation after that, even at 12 days old, would have been so much easier yeah. had we had incorporated, um, you know, trips to the, um, you know, CST or chiropractic. Um, so, you know, that's just a little fun fact, but he's doing great, but it just took a little bit longer for him to, to really, um, get nursing, um, down pat and like, you know, just in a comfortable and just efficient manner, but he's, he's doing great now. So, um, just kind of goes to show I lived, you know, well, and that's also part of it too. So I know that like I get up on the pedestal and like preach things, right? I'm like, well, this is the way you do it. But in reality, we understand that maybe it's not always possible, especially in a right. pandemic. And maybe right. there aren't the types of practitioners in your area that can fully 100% you know, percent support what we're, we're saying. So you do the best that you can do. Um, but I think that just, you know, at least having knowledge of what is most optimal and kind of working from that is always the best. It's never to make a parent feel, you know, any less or, you know, we're not shaming anybody. If you did, you know, I have a lot of moms who actually come to my Instagram page and they'll see my posts on like pacifiers or they'll see my posts on something and they'll go, Oh my gosh, I'm the worst mother ever. Like, I can't believe I did this to my baby. And I'm going, hold up, <laughs> hold up, hold up. You did the best with the information that you had. I've been there. Like I've been that mom who didn't know my baby was five, who pushed through painful breastfeeding, who tried to force a pacifier in my first baby's mouth, but she refused to take it past four months. Thank goodness. Like I was the, I mean, I, I did so many things wrong, but also I'm, I'm sharing not just, I'm sharing not just from like what's better for all function and development as a practitioner, but I'm sharing as a mom. Because like I've been there, and if I can spare you some heartache or maybe make a little things easier for you and your child, like by all means, I'm I'm shedding that mama light on it, but also with the credentials to support that that's my specialty, you know. So it's kind of like that's where the passion comes from, <laughs> right? And so and you know, I see um, patients every day, and they come in at all different ages, whether it's you know three or five or twelve, and you know you say. Exactly. You know, you did the best that you could. You had no idea where were your, like, you didn't have people like us, like to, to be there and like, tell you all these things. Yeah. I mean, I wish every, you know, I wish every situation, the mom would have stumbled across um, this, this space, right? Or, um, you know, that one person that would have been like, hey, by the way, did you know that that's not really good or this or that, or that's a red flag. Um, and not, not everyone has has had that opportunity. So we meet you where you're at. Yeah. And what I always tell parents, I'm like, you know what? Um, three years old is better, is better than six. And if you're coming in at six, it's better than at 12. If you're coming at 12, Hey, it's better than when you're 40 years old. So we meet you where you're at and we can always kind of figure out what to do. The important thing is that that you're here and that we can, we can assess and figure out what to do. Cause i um, truly, we have a lot of a lot of different things that we can work, you know, implement a lot of different, um, you know, kind of ways to treating each patient as an individual, and 
to not feel bad because we're all moms, we're all parents, we've been there, done that, and um, it's just important to have compassion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I even get mamas who are like, my baby's six months old, is it too late? And I'm like, no, no. I mean, it's honestly, it's never too late to improve function, right? Maybe as an adult, it's going to be a lot more um, challenging because of what we know about adults and you're fully grown. And so to actually try to like make changes in an adult, you're going to hit probably a lot more roadblocks than you will in a child who's still growing, right? Like we know it's much easier to mold a child than to change an adult. I'm a perfect example of that. Like mm -hmm. I had braces, I had Invisalign, I had lingual bars upper and lower until I was 30 and asked for them to be removed because they were supposed to apparently fall out by the time I turned 20 and that never happened. And then all my teeth shifted <laughs> after that. And after they shifted, I went, what is going on? And hello, I had a tongue tie and a tongue crest and I was, you know, open mouth breathing when I was sleeping and all the things. And, you know, so now I've gone through two years of a vivo suppliance and now I just um, started my Invisalign because I, you know, we're trying to now move things into the right spaces that have been created. Um, and so it's been an experience for me. My husband is going into a, a growth appliance. Lily was in an ALF for a year and she just turned five and had it removed like right after her fifth birthday. And so, I mean, I, I walk the walk. Like I'm doing all the things that we preach here on this podcast. Yeah, um, I, I told my husband, I was like, cause my husband's had some dental work too. And then, so our plan is like to start with one appliance knowing that as an adult, we're probably gonna have to switch the appliance actually, but he prefers the ALF to like a Vivo yeah. appliance. We're like, that's fine. We'll start with that. But we know this is not gonna get you the full, <laughs> the full amount of where we need to go. So we're gonna have right. to swap that out at some point to a different appliance once you can tolerate something a little better. But he's like my sensory guy, like he is, you know, I joke that he and my five-year-old are the same person. Like I joke, uh -huh. my husband has the nose of a pregnant woman. Like, he's like, <laughs> what is that smell? And I'm like, what smell are you talking about? And he's like, gagging. <laughs> 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 I don't smell anything. So like, he's like, full, you know, doesn't like how certain things feel. Don't touch his ears. Don't touch his nose. Like, yeah. he's just yeah. And so I'm like, we're gonna have to release that tongue at some point too. But let's let's see if we can get a little growth first. So, yeah. Well, it's yeah. it's very important having tongue space you cannot release the tongue unless it has somewhere to go yeah, and that's absolutely you know that's a huge that's a huge um very important yeah topic. tongue tie versus tongue space topic yes and absolutely and that was something that was newer to me in the past year when i really started to i mean i knew but i didn't know you know and so now that there's like a name attached to it i think that maybe i think soggy was the first one i heard really speak about tongue tie versus tongue space and I started going, well, that makes a heck of a lot of sense because, you know, the timing, depending on the case of when you might have a tongue tie release versus when you do a growth appliance versus, you know, like the age of the patient and all these different factors that play in. Um, Lily had her tongue tie release at two. And now that she's had her, her palate grown, you know, with the, um, the upper and lower, I should say. So both her mandible and her <clears throat> maxilla, like we've seen growth with the ALF. She had that in for a year. I, I think that her posterior portion of her tongue cannot elevate to meet her new anatomy based on how things are structured now. And so, you know, she's been like gagging and like almost choking on water, even out of like a straw, like so thin liquids. And I'm like, what is this? Like it started like halfway through her ALF appliance. And so, you know, here I am like the, the feeding therapist and orofacial myologist. And I'm like, what gives? Like, why is my child yeah. choking on thin liquids? Like, what? So, yeah, I mean, so there's always something, and then that's we learn so much from our family, right? right? I know. I'm like, that's why it's like I have, like, I've never even seen that in a patient, but here my own child is struggling with this. Right. So, anyways, I know we could talk all day about these things, but 
It's been uh, awesome. Yes, it's this has been pleasure. so good. Thank you so much for joining us today, Joanna. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 